Hey everybody, welcome back to the Once Ready Podcast. You're in the team room and I am solo dolo in here with two awesome guests, one returning, one new guest. We've got Chase coming back with us on the dagger side of the house and new guest is Raul. So appreciate both of you guys joining us. Um, Raul, since you haven't been on here, why don't you give us a little bit of background, introduce yourself, and then we'll move on to Chase for a refresher, and then we're going to dive right into some Dagger and uh, maybe some other stuff, too. Who knows? Might get crazy with it. Cool. Uh, yeah, thank you for having us. Um, yeah, I'm Raul Lapante. I uh, Fire Service Marine Corps. I'm a National Guard guy uh, over at uh, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. And uh, yeah, uh, civilian side, I'm a cop by trade. Um, done just about everything you could as a, a civilian cop at this point in my career, and uh yeah, I'm out here at the 371st teaching and helping rewrite the the curriculum for the school. Nice. The dagger school, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Got to clarify that. Yeah. <laughs> How about you, Chase? Uh, yeah, thanks for having us again. Uh, my name is Chase. I'm at the 27th Dagger section. Uh, I've been there for about three years. I've got two deployments under my belt. Uh, yeah, we just got actually off the surtex of the 2-2 guys, so... Bummer that Aaron's not here, uh, but yeah, looking forward to it, and thanks for having us back. Yeah, man, Aaron was. Uh, Aaron told me that you guys were were there at the Certex together. For those that don't know, a Certex is a certification exercise. It's how you validate and certify that a a unit or uh, a whatever we'll just call it a unit is ready to deploy. So you have all this train up, then you basically have an exercise to show that, Hey, you're ready. Uh, and if there's any alibis, you can address it and make sure that you train to it. But yeah, Aaron was telling me that, that you guys were out there. Uh, that it was actually, you guys were working quite a bit together from what I understand. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, from, he got there a couple of days after it kicked off. Yeah. And linked up with him right away. Just say what's up and moved right into the validation part of it. So it was a good time. Definitely a good time. Yeah, man. That's awesome. Well, you, um, so we, we've never met before so that like, I wasn't tracking that you were a prior Marine. What, what brought you, what did you do in the Marines? And then what brought you from the Marines, uh, into the air force? Uh, so I was a field artillery guy. Um, just, you know, a gun rock cannon cocker, the that old job. And, uh, yeah, I, for the longest time I wanted to call for fire. Um, I tried to become a forward observer for a little bit and that got derailed. And when I got out of the Marine Corps, I'm, went into law enforcement, kind of miss the military. So I joined the National Guard originally to be attack P. Um, that didn't work out, mainly because I was completely unprepared. I didn't know what I was getting myself into. Um, I had no idea that JTACs in the Air Force were regarded <laughs> in such a, so highly. <laughs> and I had no idea that I was getting myself myself into uh, an INDOC. Uh, so when I checked into my uh, attack P dagger, dagger unit, I went to medical, they drew blood. They told me not to eat, and then when I was done with all that, it was a PT test to an unknown distance rock, and I completed. Ooh. Yeah, it was rough. I completed all of that, um, but then yeah, I was just like, yeah, this is not what I thought it was going to be. Um, I wasn't. Yeah, I was mainly what it came down to. I wasn't mentally uh, in the right in the right state of mind. Um, I, you know, if I went through it now, I knew I would know what I'm getting myself into. So I don't think I would have. I, I don't think I think I would do differently, but. Uh, yeah, I ended up dropping out of the, of the process, and uh, I got lucky to get put in a security forces squadron that had the dagger program. Yeah, boy, you really set up for success there. <laughs> yeah, well, 
I should have done my research. Not by your own meaning. I mean, like, just, hey, you're going to fast. You're going to draw some blood. And then better get it on. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I was surprised that I completed everything. Um, but, like, after it was all said and done, it was that. Plus, you know, I had, you know, senior airmen, you know, kind of, like, talking down to me. Because it was, like, it was an in-doc process. But, again, I wasn't prepared. And my mentality, fresh out of the Marines, I'm like, who the heck are you talking to like that? I'm a sergeant of Marines. <laughs> what is going on here? Uh, but yeah, so that that's basically what happened. You know, I got no excuses. Um, it was I should have done my research. Did uh, did you end up losing a pay grade, like a, a rank coming over? Because that happens sometimes. It, it happens. It typically happens for E six and above, though. I came I came over as an E five, so it, it wasn't that big of a deal. Okay. Year. Okay. Oh well, that's good. At least you got to keep your pay. <laughs> Mm-hmm. So both of you guys are instructors at the schoolhouse, and I'm understanding that. No, nope. nope. I've never been an instructor at the schoolhouse. Raul and I went through school oh, together back boy. in 2019. Um, I've been at Cannon the entirety of of my dagger stint uh, up to this point. Granted, I you know I've gotten out for exercises, TDYs, and deployments, but yeah, I've been old Clovis raised from from the start. So. Okay. I, mu- I must have misheard that then. So based off of that and the fact, like you said that you're, you're going TDY all the time, you're deploying, you've got hitting exercises and stuff and, and those kind of awesome things. Um, and you just got off of a Surtex exercise with, you know, the 2-2 STS. How often are you going out and doing those kind of exercises and what are you tasked to do during those exercises? So it kind of, it used to be busier. I'm not going to lie. It used to be busier. We, we, you know, we have usually at least one, if not two STS or Texas roll through Canon a year because Canon's just a great place to induce misery like deployment. Um, I mean, they, they keep saying it. there's no similar place to Africa than Canon. I'm, I'm starting to see it more and more. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, you know, it, those those happen about twice a year. We've had uh, special forces groups roll through in the past, and you know some NSW teams and some RSOC guys roll through too. We've supported them as we can, um, and we, when we're able to. But usually, with a Surtex picture, that looks like uh, us either filling the partner force, and they ask for like DLOs or desired learning objectives, right? So we will bring over our mission essential task list that was you know talked about in the last podcast with with Lance and. Uh, Jordan, uh, we bring that list over. We're like, well, as Dagger is playing or partner for us, we would like to learn our own job, how you guys would do it. And it gives us another breadth of experience, um, another way of doing things that maybe we didn't think through the process of, hey, for this med or for this task, we can do it this way instead of this way. Uh, so, you know, really opening up um, our experience capabilities. But then at the same time, it's also educating that operator or that 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 force uh, on what dagger does and how we can uplift uh, that STS or that Marsoc unit or, or whoever. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And yeah across- that's awesome. Sorry. Go for it, Ralph. No, I was going to um, say in across the dagger enterprises, it happens pretty often. Uh, I know the guys from the first, they do a lot of training with their EO with EOD with seventh group. Um, I know the guys at the one right there where I come from, they're all constantly doing training with, uh, with the local tech P unit that's out there. Um, the guys at Mildenhall are all there. They work very closely with the STS over there. 
and with whatever host local host nation that's over there. Um, so across the Dagger Enterprise, we do we do these kind of things a lot. From what I've been yeah, the Kadena guys it. too. The Kadena guys have been rocking and rolling with uh, First Group Alpha, the detachment out there in, in Okinawa, and uh, the Marsoc guys, and even some of the STS cats out there. So. I mean, everyone's pretty busy across the board when it comes to doing validating exercises or cert- certifying exercises or just joint exercises in, in general. So uh, that's the that's the main way we earn our, our uh, employment, I should say. I guess you know, educating and employment. So. No, and and you're right, and you're you're kind of your first comment about hey, it used to be busier than it is. I mean, that's just kind of the re- like the whole the whole DOD is facing that now. Some some people it has. You know, the ops tempo has dwindled some. It's just maintained. Um, but it definitely, for the most part, it hasn't increased. Um, not as, as, as of yet anyway, but that's, but that's kind of the ebb and flow of the way things go. And that's something that the, I mean, the Air Force and, and all the services really are kind of dealing with right now and, and trying to figure out. So it's to be expected, really. Yeah. Um, but the good thing is you guys are everywhere. For the most part, at, at least in the in the security forces world, you guys are everywhere. Are are daggers at every single base? And I, I I'll throw that question to uh, I don't know. I'll throw it to Chase right now. <laughs> yeah, no. So uh, the, the six locations we have the reserve unit out of Duke Field. We have the guard unit out of Harrisburg, PA. Uh, we have the first out of Herbie, the twenty seventh out of Cannon, the three fifty second out of Milton Hall, and the three fifty third out of Kadena. Uh, now you're starting. We're starting to get more. There's only 365 of us since 2007. Let's start with that there too. So we're a very small number when it comes to security forces enterprise over the last 15 years. Um, but you're starting to see more daggers uh, step away from the, the dagger program and go to places like Camp Guernsey to be instructors up in, in the, the nuclear world or uh, McGuire to be Raven instructors or uh, CRG instructors out there. We've got guys at Guam um, down at the uh, tech school for security forces in San Antonio. So we're, we're starting to take our dagger experience. I, I think it's always been this way, but I'm seeing it more now than ever. Because uh, when I came through tech school and all my upgrade training, I didn't know what a dagger was until my first supervisor went dagger. So, uh, so we're now looking at it from the outside into the security forces world, I'm seeing a lot more daggers spread out across the training areas, uh, the big major training areas for security forces to really help uh, kind of kill that ambiguity that's behind the dagger name. Because uh, we're not special operations operators. We are special operations support at the end of the day. Uh, we're here for to cater to the customer across AppSock and SOCOM. And uh, those guys are out there doing good work at their respective bases now, educating uh, security forces by the masses uh, on what it is Dagger is capable of doing and what we actually do uh, in, in real time. So, Okay. And that, that takes me to another question then is, so security forces on on – and I, I mean this no slight to anybody that's out there in security forces, but like at a basic level, your normal security forces person, they, they're already receiving law enforcement training, LEO type stuff, weapons manipulation, you know, rifle, pistol, um, you know, all the law enforcement codes and stuff like that. But Raul, what, since you're at the school, the dagger schoolhouse, like what are you guys teaching that is different or, or maybe more advanced that then helps transition that? normal security forces person 
uh, and I'm just saying normal security force person because I don't know the best way to articulate it, but into a dagger. So um, I feel like to start. So currently there is some changes within the with security forces enterprise at the schoolhouse where they're trying to focus more from law enforcement to air-based defense. So we don't know yet what that's going to look like for us, um, right? But yeah, there, there are some... S- some learning curves with students when they come through dagger um because we're not a law enforcement entity whatsoever um we're an expeditionary contingency response depending on what's going on right so some of the learning curves really come from you know whether that's in a1c because we typically don't get a1c's but we have been getting the massive late um you know we require those individuals to operate at the same level as a tech sergeant so whether that's you know putting up an op order together or talking to, you know, talking to a group of people and briefing them. Um, that's a huge learning curve for us. Um, and yeah, the weapons manipulation um, at the school, at the security forces schoolhouse is very basic. So when they come to us, we spend a whole week with the student, you know, t- taking them from ground level basics, weapon manipulation to, you know, moving and shooting at a level that's on, on par with any, tech sergeant that's been doing security forces for a number, a num- you know, a big number amount of years. Um, but yeah, mission planning is huge. And small unit tactics is another one that, you know, these guys just don't quite have it. Um, we do teach a, a portion of close quarter battles is very basic. Um, but you know, anybody that holds a gun should be able to manipulate that gun around, around a structure. Otherwise, you know, what good are you? Um, yeah. so, <laughs> so yeah, there's a, there's, there's a lot of learning curves. Um, like I said, a lot, a lot of the stuff they've learned already, we're just taking it to the, to a whole next level. Right. And, that, and that's all it is. You're, I'm glad you said that because it's not that it, they're already receiving a certain level of training. It's just, you know, it's a really good baseline to what they're coming to you with. It's just, you guys are taking it. Just, we're just cranking it up a couple couple volume knobs, notches rather. Okay. So, um, and I can't remember who said it. Somebody said Raven. Yeah. yeah. yeah I don't know if that was Chase. Now, like, so this is, the, like all this is education for me, which I'm all about. So please tell me, actually, are either one of you Raven, is it a qualification or... Okay, it's not a qualification. It well, it's its own separate job. I don't have it, and I don't believe Raul has it either. So I do not. So it used okay. to be for the for daggers whenever that when the program first got started. You know, Ravens cover uh, uh, flight deck denial right during their curriculum. Um, that was something that was highlighted that was necessary for us as well. So we used to send our students to Raven first, and then dagger. And I'm talking about when I say used to, I mean like through the inception of the course, like 2007. Um, since then we've discovered that we Ravens and daggers, we just conduct business differently. Um, we go to different places. Mm -hmm. So it's, it, it wasn't, we didn't see the, we weren't getting much of a benefit out of it. Right. So we decided to move away from that program completely, um, as part of our pipeline. And we would just teach our students flight deck denial in the way that we would do it, um, downrange. Okay. Can you, uh, I'm going to pop this one to Chase. Can you elaborate on flight deck denial? Because so, I, I know where you're coming from having, you know, but like, that's a very, um, that, that, 
verbiage is kind of very nebulous for anybody that's not tracking what what flight deck denial would be. Yeah, so of course, yeah, the, the Raven program does flight deck denial extremely well, right? But they're also working on platform. They have the one thirty platform in common with us in the dagger world, but they also have the C seventeen C five platforms. So they're working with massive aircraft compared to a one thirty two. Um, so they, therefore, they usually get two, three, four, maybe even five people or five Ravens per aircraft where I've been in situations deployed where it's just me, um, doing flight. Yeah. Yeah. It was, you know, it, it, it was what it is, what it is. And, you know, you just have to kind of roll with those punches and be flexible and, and, uh, trust the process that, you know, the dagger program would put you through and all that training. And, and, uh, I'm not saying it's, it's a very hard task, but, your self-confidence has to be through the roof because it's you versus upwards of 140 people sometimes. Um, for example, last a year, literally a year ago uh, with Kabul, right? We had three daggers in Kabul and uh, the three of us, we we were solely responsible for that, that 130s air crew uh, safety transitioning back from Kabul to Qatar. Um, and we had, you know, upwards of 90, 120, even 140 people on a tube at a time. And these were all, you know, Afghans and, and, uh, AMSITs that were being pulled. So you like sitting there as the barrier between, and I'm sure you've definitely been on a 130 before, you know, that looking at up to the cockpit, that's, that's an open door. Um, it's an open door to a stairwell to another open door. And you have to be confident in your skills and your ability to, Stand your ground essentially and, and deny the flight deck to the people who are just, you know, essentially cargo in, in layman's terms, I guess. Um, so it, you are that, that barrier, that final line of, of defense for the safety of the air operators at that, at that point in time. So, um, and that's where the big difference was what Raul was saying with, you know, no disrespect whatsoever with the Raven program. What they do, they do it extremely well. Uh, but we have a different, mission set where we don't always have uh, a five-man Raven team or five-man dagger team even for in a single aircraft. I think the most daggers I had for a 130 was three people. And uh, that was the first night we flew into Kabul just to get an essay on what was going on. It was me and two, my, my two wingmen. And uh, I look over at the C-17 next to us, thinking at the time it was a, an American one, it ended up being an Irish C-17. Uh, they had 12 versions of their Raven or dagger program dudes around their C-17, all of my 249s. So like every country does, every country has a flyaway security team from my experience so far. Um, but like everyone does a little bit different and it's just another, you know, knock on notch in our belt with the dagger program and how we do things a little different than the Raven program, which is probably the most closely aligned to us when it comes to that mission set. So. They're over there with 12 dudes and you guys are over there with three just drowning. Yeah. <laughs> that was pretty funny. Yeah. I wasn't tracking that you were in a HKIA during the, the evac. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it was a crazy time. That's for sure. We were there with uh, the two, three SDS guys. They were the, the points to contact out of, uh, we worked with pretty closely during that whole situation. So. Yeah, man, that's, that's awesome. That was not a, uh, an ideal situation, if you will. To, to say lightly. So, uh, you guys, your, your team, and then obviously the rest of the, everybody that was out there, both ST, Army, the folks that were out there were, man, doing, doing some really, really good work. It was, it was a full plate, you know, one bite at a time. <laughs> nice. Well, Raul, 
deployment wise, you didn't bring up any uh, any deployments earlier, and I can I can appreciate that. I understand. Um, do you, you, what has been your experience with uh, with deployments? So I, on the Air Force side of the house. Yeah, so I've been uh, to Burkina Faso uh, in Africa, mainly conducting uh, tactical security uh, missions for air crew. You know, going from the team houses to the airfield. And, uh, you know, doing assessments around the city to, uh, excuse me, to just, you know, validate places that are good and safe for Americans to, uh, to eat or, or whatever. Um, we were there during the height of COVID. So a lot of movement was restricted for the air crew. Um, and then from, from BF, we, uh, went to Djibouti and we were doing a lot of the same, um, just a different environment, a lot different environment. And, uh, actually Chase, so. Chase's team relieved me in, uh, in Djibouti. So that was really, that was a really cool reunion. Well, that, so you guys, that's interesting. Cause you said 375 of you, is that right? 65, yeah. something around there. Yeah. That's, that is a lot smaller than I expected. Yeah. So how many, so at the schoolhouse then, how many are you guys putting through per class? So we're supposed to be putting in 40 uh, through a year, um, but because of uh, just lack of information that's out there for, you know, for people to be educated about the program and put in for it, um, we don't fill 40 seats a year, 40 seats a year right? Um, we typically, as of late, we've been filling at the most maybe 30. Um, and then we also have, uh, it's a guesstimate, but, a um, a 30% attrition rate. So last year, I think we graduated 26 out of those 40. So last year is in like, okay, so how many classes per year do you put through? So right now we do, we're doing four, uh, four classes a year, nine or nine weeks, nine weeks of training. Um, for FY 23, uh, there's a lot of talks going on between, you know, 371st leadership and a four leadership about doing two classes, uh, a year, 11 week course an 11 week course, um, and putting through, you know, 50, 50 students. Okay. Would that be, okay. So is that an increase in weapons or what would be the increase if you're going from nine to 11 weeks? Uh, so we would focus, again, we will give, this will allow us to give the students more reps and mission planning, um, you know, with 25, essentially we'll get 25 students. So 25 students means we need more time on each subject to okay. give the students reps. Okay. Um, all, that makes sense. Yeah. Also with the new DOD guidance on, uh, rapidly deploy rapidly deployable units um they need to have you know ttc combat lifesaver and per the curriculum that's a 40-hour course you know so we need to add an additional week just for ttc yeah i so do you think it's a a messaging issue of, of getting the message out that Obviously, you need daggers, but is it a messaging in terms of like, hey, come join us? These are the things that we do, or is it? A, are you finding that the recruitment pool just isn't there due to whatever, uh, just lack of interest or whatever it is? I don't think it's lack of interest. I mean, when you, sorry, Chase, uh, go, ahead, go in a go second. Ahead. I don't think it's la- I don't think it's lack of interest. I mean, if you go, you can go to any tech school, right? And guys coming out of tech school, they're super motivated. They want to do all the high speed stuff, you know, that, whatever they can. I think it has a lot to do with just really no information out there. 
Um, and some misinformation too, you know, you have, you have guys that, you know, maybe didn't get the opportunity to do certain things and they're a little salty about it. So they won't speak, they won't speak positively about the program. And in turn, you know, that make, you know, that kind of, that kind of mentality just transitions over to the next troop. Um, but yeah, I know, you know, at, recently that's been improving. I know the guys at the, that, you know, that work the, our Instagram page, they do a really good job promoting the program. So yeah, it's been improving. Um, it could definitely be better though. Yeah. And to caveat off that, there's also been this, uh, it's not so much anything we can control or even the headquarters can really control. It's the overall manning at the, at the first and the two seven specifically, they're above 90%. This, the security forces squadron manning is above 90%. So therefore they can't hire through AMS or my vector, um, my talent marketplace. We can't put ads out for those two squadrons to fill the lack of manning at those two sections because technically on paper, it's a 90% man squadron. They don't, they're, they're not hurting for people, but the section could have mm. 10 or 12 or 13 people of the 25, a lot, a lot of billets. So we, that forces our hand into doing in-house try tryouts, uh, through that security forces, that same security forces squadron. Uh, which isn't a bad thing because there's a lot of talent in hidden in security forces squadrons and it gives you an opportunity to like kind of take some of these new troops like the young A1Cs or senior airmen coming in and be like, hey, let's let's do this. You know, like let me teach you what we do and then you give us your all and we'll get you we'll get you squared away from there kind of thing. So with with that though, but that 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 barrel is only so deep. Eventually, you're going to start scraping the bottom yeah. of the barrel and you could go your first tryout um, for an in-house for all the in-house hires. So the very, very first one could have 25 people show up for it and five of them get selected. And then moving forward from that one, the very last in-house tryout could have two dudes that show up for it because everybody else has, has either failed it before or, you know, they, they got hurt or whatever the, the situation might have been. They just realized, you know, this isn't for me. Um, and now you're, you're, you're catering that tryout in-house tryout to just one or two people and not even getting a guarantee that either one of those individuals will pass. Um, and it's a very basic assessment where we hold up the two seven. It's, uh, your PT test first thing in the morning, above 90%. And then you get 30 minutes off and you hit a ruck six miles, sub 90 minutes at a 35 pounds dry. So, you know, it, those are the two big ones. Uh, in the past when we have five, six, 10 people show up for a tryout, we've been able to do like, Hey, what's your shooting look like? What's your, what's your cognitive thinking ability and your leadership capabilities and like, can you like, we'll put you in leadership games where you are the only person allowed to talk and your team has to listen and then or vice versa. You're the follower and your leader talks, uh, through, you through that exercise. Um, we do a stress fire, you know, pretty basic stuff. You, you, you run about a hundred meters, you drag a, a dummy. And then once the, uh, the dummy gets, uh, dragged through the, the shoot house, the casualty dummy, they move that casualty dummy to another point, a quick teachable scenario carry some ammo cans and then they're doing overhead arm claps while they wait for the, uh, the cadre to give the instruction for the, the stress fire essentially. So very basics, uh, for a, a tryout. But like I said, you go from a full pot to an empty pot pretty quick. Um, especially in just the course of a single year. So. Yeah. And that's just like an internal assessment mm -hmm. yeah. with, with the folks that you have in the unit. So if somebody, as I'll just, you know, as motivated as they are, and then all of a sudden get put in a situation like that where, hey, because I'll tell you what, I'm, I'm assuming you guys are using like the Hurt and Herman 250 pounds of dead weight. 
somewhere in there, about about yeah. buck fifty at the least. We, we borrow from the software program. It's whatever they get. They bring us for the day. We so. call we call him Heavy Harvey. <laughs> Heavy Harvey. <laughs> yeah, we call him Hurtin' Herman. Yeah, whatever. But that dead weight that is um, that is very very real, and uh, it is a pain in the ass. It's a very basic. I mean, it's a very basic stress fire. You go to any SWAT school or SRT school in security forces, you're going to encounter something very similar. Um, so it's it's not even just dagger specific. It's specific at this point. It's just, hey, this is your first taste of reality outside of normal security forces. You want to go SRT? You want to go dagger? You want to go Raven? Like you're going to encounter these kinds of stresses. It's just a very basic. Um, but like I said, that pocket's super thin very fast. So. And how, how often are you guys doing the internal assessments? It depends on uh, how often the courses are going between COVID and uh, just scheduling okay. and the, the, the coming down from headquarters. I'm like, hey, there's going to be a class for this. Uh, in this time period, you have a week or two or three to hire in-house. And uh, unfortunately, because of the manning issues, and not issues, right? Everyone's above 90%. So it's just because of the above 90% manning, yeah. um, sometimes that word comes down pretty late on like, we're skirting that line, skirting that line. Yep. Still above 90, hire somebody, you know what I mean? From the inside. So it, it's kind of mission dependent or situation dependent. So. <laughs> All right. Raul, what, what kind of trends are you guys seeing um, both good and bad at the schoolhouse from, from folks that are showing up? Uh, well, that's that's kind of that's kind of tough to answer trends, um, <laughs> mainly because our classes are so small, and you know you get people from all walks of life, so you really never know what you're gonna get. Um, yeah, I mean sometimes we get really sometimes we get really surprised by a class. Oh, actually, yeah, we had a class of all senior airmen's and A one C's, and to this day, they're probably still probably one of my favorite classes. Right, a lot of those guys, awesome. a lot of those guys didn't have, have a lot of a lot of experience with anything um and that was good and bad i mean there was we had to really get into the weeds with certain things and really like make sure that they understood it but when they understood it they moved and they were like sponges um so that was really good um on you know on the other side we've had guys where there was a lot of experience in the room and those were um with all that experience, you know, they underperform in certain ways because, you know, they were the, they were a full, that full glass already, you know, that you could don't, you, you couldn't teach them anymore. But, you know, once you humble them and you really brought them down to, hey, you don't know as much as you think, you know, um, we started seeing that, you know, that they were really getting it together. But as far as trends go, yeah, I mean, I don't, I can't say that, I can't say that I've seen any trend. Yeah. Well, it- you know the the your schoolhouse is no different than any other schoolhouse. If you get brand new folks, usually they're a clean slate, and you're not trying to fix any kind of you know um, weapon, weapons malfunctions or shooting bad bad techniques or anything like that. You're just got a clean slate. You just train them how they need to be trained, and they're good to go. Whereas if you take Old people like myself, we're very stuck in our ways, mm-hmm. allegedly, and uh, and then, but inherently we have bad, we've got bad habits yeah. that you got to try and break, and so uh, we tend to buck the system a little bit. <laughs> um, but I I do want to ask, like, in terms of preparation, because our our demographic for our audience is typically your fifteen to twenty five year olds ish, maybe up to 30, um, that are wanting to come in and, you know, they, they 
see you two and they get motivated by the stuff that you guys are out there doing. You know, Chase, they hear your H. Kaya story. Raul, they know that you're running around freaking Africa doing all kinds of good stuff. So, like, how can they best prepare? And, and Raul, I'm going to kick this one off to you mm-hmm. just because you're at the schoolhouse. And I, I know you're not at the, you know, you're at the, the Dagger Schoolhouse, not the, the Security Forces Schoolhouse. So I can appreciate that. But, like, what can they do to best prepare uh, to make sure that they're successful at the Dagger Schoolhouse. Yeah. Um, so I'll start by saying this, right? Um, you know, if you are the type of person that's not in the military, right, and you want to and you want to join security forces specifically to be a Dagger, um, first I want to say good luck, right? There's 300 and something of us out of a 40,000 plus career field. That's, that means there's less than 1% of the career field is Dagger, right? Um on top of that, you need to get lucky enough to get sent to a, a unit that has uh, a dagger section, or while you're in your security forces career, you need to get lucky enough that an AMS ad pops up for dagger. So, yeah, good luck. Um, you know, if you're the if you have the mentality that you want to do dagger, my opinion, dude, you look you sound like a hard charger. You sound like a motivated person. Go all the way. Go STS. Go special forces. You know, don't. You know, don't invest, don't, don't come in to security force thinking that you're going to do dagger. That's, that's number one. Uh, number two, um, yeah, this is really mainly for the guys that are already in the military, already in security forces. You know, they, they tried all these other things and now they're in security forces and they want to make the best of it. Right. That's where dagger comes in. So for those guys, I would say, you know, read books, um, you know, be educated. Um, I would say rock a lot. And I would say, shoot, you know, invest in yourself, right? So what we're seeing at actually, yeah, you, you know, there is there are some trends. So what we're seeing at the schoolhouse, right? If you, I knew there was. <laughs> if you can't shoot, if you can't shoot at an expert or close to expert, you're gonna have a rough time at our at, during our during our qual. Our qual, we don't allow for any misses, and that's where most of our attrition comes from, right? If you can't, if you're not running your PT test at above a 90 percentile, you, it's going to be rough for you keeping up with the rest of, with the rest of the class or keeping up with our PT days. If you can't, if you can't ruck, you know, uh, six miles in 90 minutes, you're going to have a hard time keeping up coming in here. You shouldn't come in here just making those minimum standards. You could come in here, the, 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 our minimum, our standard should be your minimum, right? You should be exceeding that when you come in here so you can blow the program completely out of the water. Chase, you got anything to add to that? You know, I think Rob will hit it right on the head. I mean, what we look at, or what me personally and, and the guys that I work with at the 2-7, what we look at uh, for candidates coming from the squadron over to our in-house assessments is the same thing. You know, guys that are hard chargers, motivated, they're not going to let, you know, something minute in fear on, or like, screw up the entire process of, of what they want. Like I want somebody, I would like to see somebody come into the section who is always thinking four steps ahead. Somebody that is um, always looking for additional work um, to better the teams at, at, the, at the end of the day. And somebody that understands our role, right? We have a circle that we have to live in um, and we're not going outside of that circle and infringing on other people's uh, capabilities or abilities, uh, you know, with, we're not combat controllers. I should be calling in airstrikes or even asking to go to uh, SOTAC, right? Like my job is to enable you guys to do that job even better. And so like those guys that know the left and right limits and are able to execute 
at 110%. So. Oh, awesome. And one of the ways you can make sure that you're successful at uh, being a DAGO or really any kind of job that you have to be physically active is to make sure you're hydrated. So check out hoist. <laughs> you guys like that, huh? I'm going right into ad reads. Don't worry. I'll follow it up, but we got, we got people, we got people we got to uh, support and they, cause they support us. So make sure you guys check out hoist. Uh, it's IV level hydration. They got great flavors. No kidding. If you guys haven't tried it, like, Dude, these ready-to-drinks are awesome. I actually did um, a shooting competition, and, just, and uh, they, they gave us hoist in one of our – in our gift bags, and I put it in my cooler, and I – yeah, it was it was pretty good. Dude, yeah. Uh, this – you know, this one's the strawberry lemonade. Uh, big fan of this flavor and then the peach mango, but then they also have the little hydration packets that you can just throw into water bottles that makes it uh, super easy. So – Go check out uh, drinkhoist.com, use the promo code ones ready. And then if you do need a pick me up though, if you guys aren't tracking, you know, I love my trench coffee. So trench coffee company out here in Vegas. Um, I don't know if you guys have ever met Jeff Mason. He's a combat controller, but he actually owns the company. So he's still active serving out here at Nellis. And then, uh, yeah, just loves coffee so much that he decided to start up a coffee company and uh, brew it and. It's my go-to. So he also has a promo code, one's ready, uh, on his site. So go check him out. Um, so, Raul, you kind of, you, you dove into a little bit, and I, I just, I think I understand it, but I want to make sure that I'm clear on it. Because you guys, if you're not the largest AFSC, you're, the, you're at least the second largest AFSC within the Air Force. Mm-hmm. And you got a lot of people and, you know, 365, 375 of you guys. Um, do you have to be like if I if if I'm at a security forces unit, do I have to be at a base or at a unit that has, a, you know, a dagger element to it? Or do I no kidding have to wait for an AMS ad and then like get lucky enough? Yeah. To, to do that. Yeah, so if you're at a, at a unit that has a dagger section, your odds are better they've definitely improved um because those guys run assess you know they run assessments you know by by monthly or or whatever um but if you're if you're not at those at those uh security forces squadrons yeah you have to wait for an ams ad so do you guys do like traveling road shows where you'll go out whether it's from the schoolhouse or whether it's from the operational unit to because i mean we're i mean Recruiting is an issue, right? You said that you're not filling up your classes of 40 people. Guess what? Neither are we, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I would say that that is pretty common across the board. So, you know, that's one of the reasons why the Dagger Instagram page is is so popular. That's why it exists, right? Mm-hmm. That That's why podcasts is it. Well, that's why our podcasts and several other podcasts exist to to help get information out there, to help recruiting and stuff like that. So, um, like, what are you guys doing to help bolster those kind of recruitment numbers? And I, and I'm going to throw that to either one of you, I mean, uh, just cause uh, if I can uh, real quick, Raul, I'm just going to say that I had the opportunity to go down to San Antonio, um, and play out four for some tech schoolers here last month. Um, so that was a really unique opportunity. I think the program should take advantage of more often. I mean, San Antonio is pretty much dead center between Herbie and Cannon. So to bring those, you know, a team over, bi-monthly or every other month or whatever it is um, 
just to, to play out for and then speak to the students at Bolus after the day's over, like, you know, Q&A or Sarge's time, whatever you want to call it, right? I think that'd be a really great opportunity to really expand um, recruitment from the lowest level. And then, so like, I got to have a conversation with this this team and uh, really educate uh, alongside the cadre that are, is their instructors. So like, those guys are prior you know, tactical response force on the nuclear world, those guys are prior Ravens. So like there's all this experience there to talk about their specific previous responsibilities, but there isn't, like you said, there isn't that dagger um, person because we're so small and that 365 or 70 people that we have in the program is from 2007 to today. So like currently in, yeah, yeah, that changes things a little bit. So currently within the session, we're looking at, Maybe a hundred active duty um, daggers, maybe. You it's closer to eighty, but yeah, yeah. So you've got you know twenty five allotted at both Kona sections, somewhere between like twelve and fifteen allotted at the Okona sections. Um, the Reserve and Guard section, their manning is going up right now. From what I've been told, is like they're trying to uh, go from like a fifteen. Um, Probably you can probably correct me on this one being out of Harrisburg, but they have like fifteen or twenty billets allotted. They're trying to push for twenty five. So. Um, you're looking at very small numbers actively performing dagger responsibilities within the Air Force. Now, granted, you have dudes that are prior dagger, you know, all over, guys at, you know, Hickam or the Minot or, you know, the CRGs out of Moody or not Moody, uh, McGuire, Travis or Guam or um, Ramstein. So, like, we have guys spread out, and that is the best way we, we can recruit at the moment is having the dudes that did the dagger gig go back to the career field and fill respective roles within the career field and talk intelligently, effectively, um, and effect, you know, um, effectively recruit from their respective squadrons that they're at. So. Raul, do you have anything to add to that? I couldn't, couldn't see it looked like no, he, he, he had everything right on the nail. Okay. So then chase with, since you're at an operational unit, like what's the ops tempo look like then if there's, you know, <laughs> we're talking, 370 of you from 2007 to now, like what, what are we looking at? Like, are you guys just constantly on the road? So we, with uh, general Slide's new initiative on uh, the mission support support team, dagger is heavily supporting the mission support teams. So out of the 15 people we have at Canon right now, 15 daggers, uh, 10 of them are allotted to um, the MSTs. So there's two teams. There's team two, iteration two, team two, and iteration three going on right now, team three. And each one of those teams have a five-man dagger team attached to them. And I think it's pretty similar at Herbie right now. And then myself and four other individuals are uh, not a lot, not set, set aside for the MST. We're still fulfilling the original dagger mission um, with this, the, or, um, hey, you get a phone call at two in the morning. You got two hours to report to the hot gates and get on at one thirty from there. So we saw that that responsibility to uphold the, the no notice tasker, uh, which is a, a huge piece of the dagger mission set, uh, especially being attached at a base that has the flying assets supporting same. So uh, yeah. that, that call could come literally right now, and I have to leave the podcast. And and it's it's the same thing across the board for any of the sections. So mm-hmm. that's that's what we're looking at right now. So our tempo is you're either at the MST's tempo, which is they're doing validation exercise after validation exercise for proof of concept. Uh, they're going TDY to, cause it's that whole Amherst concept. So they're, they're really, um, 
building all the airmen at those MSTs up uh, to instill the warrior mindset, to get their shooting capabilities up, their tactical headspace up. Uh, because no, no one knows where that concept is going to go in the future, right? With for like legitimate solidified employment. So uh, they're trying to be as ready for any COA as possible at this point. And uh, the daggers are helping drive that over there. So that's where they're, their tempo is at, and then home station tempo. Like we just did the validation exercise with the two two, uh, surtex exercise with the two two. So um, we feel any exercise that rolls across our our the AOS or the Air Operations Squadron um, at Cannon that uh, Dagger can fill uh, support entity to one educate and promote the program, and two, um, you know, get employment out of. We we do whatever we can to to stay as as busy as possible. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I, I appreciate Oh, go ahead. Rob. No, I was going to say, and you know, and from a guard standpoint, you know, our winter months up in Pennsylvania, we're typically doing all of our administrative stuff, but once summer hits, you know, it's rough, you know, it's like having a second job because we're constantly all summer going on TDYs, going on exercises, deploying. So yeah, I mean, it's, we're, we're pretty busy when, when we're busy. Well, that's the way it, that's the way it is, man. It's, it, when it rains, it pours. <laughs> um, I Chase, I'm glad you brought up the uh, the whole changes to AFSOC because AFSOC is, or Air Force Special Operations Command, is going through a lot of changes that are not only impacting, you know, special tactics, AC-130, CV-22s, MC-130s, and stuff like that, but also, I mean, you nailed it, dude. You guys are on the dagger side of the house. You guys are getting... I, I say, and when I say impacted, it, it, it almost has a, a negative connotation to it, but I don't necessarily mean it to be a negative connotation. I'm just saying that like, you know, it's, there are changes all going through AFSOC right now. Um, and then the dust still hasn't settled. Like it's still happening. And that's, that's kind of normal because changes are always happening and you have to, to stay relevant and make sure that you're, um, ready for whatever's out there because it's not always going to be an Afghanistan kind of situation. Um, and I'll, I'll just leave it at that. I won't, I won't take this to a provocative yeah. podcast naming certain locations and countries and stuff like that. But those are things that we've got to be, we've got to be ready for, which is why AFSOC is kind of changing the way it is. Um, and then I'm gonna, I'm gonna bounce back to a question because, and it doesn't really fall in line with what we're just talking about, but, I, I've, I've got notes here. If you guys aren't tracking, just because you guys say good stuff and I'm like, Ooh, I want to hit that. And then we go two or three things down and I got to come back to it. But, um, so you're not, once you're dagger, once you're a dagger, you don't necessarily remain a dagger your entire career. So what are we looking at in terms of how long do I get to be a dagger? To, and, and I understand that that is based off of probably promotion and rank and stuff like that. But how long do I typically get to be a dagger? And then what are the promotion rates look like for said daggers? I'm going to throw that to either one of you guys. Chase, Cause I don't know who's got the more, dagger. more yeah, gouge on it. The active, active duty side of things, right? So um, active duty and guard reserve have been completely different than, uh, than each other. So on the active duty side of things, you're, Coded or guaranteed three years at a section at minimum. Um, sometimes you can go over that with like lack of manning um, or PCSing to another location that has the dagger section. So you can continue like going from a CONUS to OCONUS or vice versa. 
or let's say I were to step laterally and go uh, to, with fill a seat with Raul and be an instructor, right? So there's that ability to move to the 371st to be an instructor, to the 352nd or 3rd to be uh, an Ocona stagger situation, which they've got a completely different mission set, completely under the SOW instead of the Secret Forces squadrons. Um, so it's really like three, maybe eight years at the max, somewhere in that is probably the window uh, to expect um, as a SCI dagger sitting in a billet. Uh, now you can step away from the program if you choose to, like uh, if someone want to do it on being a tech school instructor or a, a pre-deployment instructor at Fort Bliss, right? They can step away from the program and then when an opening opens for their respective rank, they can apply or, or um, put their name in the pot, right, to, to fill that, that billet later down the road. And like I think Lance brought it up on the last podcast, it's something that you might need to go through a recertification phase for either in-house with whatever section you're filling the billet at, or if it's been a super long time and there's been a drastic amount of changes, um, you might even have to go back through qualification. Um, you know, I, I, we, I've never seen that personally. I probably, I don't think you've seen it either. So that's, that's kind of a, you have. Okay. Mm -hmm. So he can talk more on that part, but so that's the active duty side of things with the guard reserve. Once you're in a billet um, for a dagger section, it's pretty much your billet to own until you choose to do something else with your career for promotion uh, statement or for promotion reasons. Or, um, so if you want to sit in the, in the billet and you want to dagger it for, uh, you know, if I get out tomorrow and I go to the reserve section or guard section and I fill a dagger billet at one of those two units and I want to stay there until I hit my retirement mark, I can choose to do so. Um, so they've got a pretty sweet gig set up over there. Uh, it's kind of like a hidden gem essentially. But as for the second half of your question with promotion rates, uh, when I first came into the section, uh, I was a senior airman. I had just tested for staff. Uh, I was waiting for staff. It was literally three years ago, almost to the day. Um, I was waiting for the results to, to drop and myself uh, and four or five other senior airmen, senior airmen uh, all made staff that year. And some of them were already in the section, had done time in a section with deployments and TDY experiences. And other of us had just PCS'd in from an AMS hire. But there was a good chunk of us that made staff. And then following on years, like, you know, we had one dude or two dudes make tech or, you know, so it's, it's no different. It's, it really depends on going back to your EPR and, and uh, what kind of work you put in inside the program, outside the program and invest in yourself, honestly, to, to get that promotion statement. It's, our EPRs are obviously really different than traditional security forces and especially being attached to a security forces unit. You know, uh, we're not going to have the, the, the bullets or the, um, the sides of the EPR that say like, you know, did this many random vehicle inspections or stopped for domestics or stuff like that. Right. So, um, different types of EPRs, which is kind of wonky when it comes to the, the murder board for, for promotion rates. But uh, yeah. at the same time, like it's it's a pretty equal playing field because there's still studs and security forces at the squadrons that aren't daggers or ravens or TRF guys that are that are doing great work for the, for the squadron. So, oh man, you're throwing out TRF too. Now people are going to be like, "Oh my god, what is that?" <laughs> they're studs. They're studs. They do a great job up there. Yeah. Oh no, no. It's just you know, there's so much good stuff that's out there. Um, and I mean, dude, we could literally do a podcast every single day and just talk about one. I mean, just pick something new every single day and we could just continue on. We, we wouldn't end. Yeah, I think Trent but, um, up on the last podcast about having the, uh, the CFM for security forces come on the podcast. 
you know, security forces is so broad. Like we could, like you said, we could really just go day by day by day. Um, well, if you know his name, let me know and I'll, I'll ping him. <laughs> the cool thing about, um, I guess the cool thing about being my rank is I can just reach out to anybody. Yeah. So like whatever. <laughs> <laughs> so I just need a name because you know, there's 40 something thousand of you. Yeah, so like you said, large career field, <laughs> very large career field. Yeah, very much. All right. Well, um, as we kind of wrap this up, you know, guys know with it, we like to kind of ping you guys for advice, uh, that you would give, you know, good, bad advice, whatever it is, uh, that you would give to folks that wanting to come in and be dagger. So Raul, I will pass it off to you right now. What kind of advice do you have for anybody? And since nobody can come off the street and be a dagger, uh, for those that are active duty that happen to be watching, what advice would you give them? Um, I would just tell them to invest in themselves. Um, a lot of people in our career field, they uh, tend to, you know, get comfortable in the position that they're in and, you know, you know, don't, don't do that. Never get comfortable at the end of the day. Even if, even if your job is to be at a gate and check IDs, you know, your job is to at, at, at its very basic core is to keep people from keep bad people from coming onto base. So you should be at your, you should be at your deadliest, honestly, you know, Always invest in yourself, always PT, you know, do what you can. And yeah, you know, blaze your own trail. Uh, there's a lot of negativity out there and, uh, you know, try to shut it out as best as you can and, you know, be, be your own person, do what you want, do what you want to do. And yeah, blaze your own trail. Man, you want to talk about the negativity that's out there. It's a shit show. Mm -hmm. Oh, how about you, Chase? What do you got? Uh, I agree with Raul 100% on the invest in yourself. Uh, pick up a book and read, you know, learn something that uh, isn't from just word of mouth from a friend or a, a supervisor. Like there's so much experience um, in and outside of the military. Just like one of the books I'm reading right now is The Common Sense Way by People Ever. Uh, just educate yourself, become become better uh, in that standpoint and everything else will follow suit. So, additionally, it's, it's your career. So if you're uh, listening to this podcast and you're sitting at, you know, BFE base, wherever in the world, and you you want more, take advantage of whatever options that base has. And this is this is CE, this is fuels, this is security forces, this is medical. There's always other options to expand within your career field. Um, so take those, take that jump, uh, get uncomfortable or get comfortable being uncomfortable. Um, so you know when I, I PCS to uh, Cannon from Lackland, I. Uh, went through ADM, which is advanced, advanced designated marksman. And then I moved on to the EST program, the SWAT program for Lackland. And so I just continued looking for whatever was next. I never wanted to settle for it. And I think anyone that looks, wants to go dagger or Raven or literally anything, you should be taking advantage of whatever programs that your respective base you're at now has to better because it's only going to open your doors more so to programs like dagger or, you know, cross training into ST or wherever you want to go. So, uh, invest in yourself and, and just don't settle. It's your career. So. No, I, and I'm glad you said take advantage of the opportunities that are provided, because if you think that you're going to sit on the sideline and go, well, I'll just do it next year. I'll do it next year. If you're waiting for the perfect time, there, there is no perfect time. It, you, you just got to do it. Um, and that's just the reality of it. And that's, that's true across whether it's, I don't know if you guys have kids, but you know, you'll hear people saying, Oh, we're waiting to have kids. It's like if you're waiting until the right time, it'll never happen. So 
Now, I'm glad you said that, but awesome, gents. Well, I really appreciate you guys joining us. Um, you guys are doing great things for the Air Force, for your country, and for the Dagger community. Um, I really appreciate it, and, and I hope that everybody that's out there uh, is actually you guys. Chase, you're running the Dagger Instagram oh, page. No, I've, I've got friends of mine that are, are running okay. it, but uh, yeah, I mean, I'll reach out oh, to okay. them and let them know, like whatever we sh- we whatever you guys need or want to hear, we can definitely press that that uh, um, that button for them to to promote more in whatever direction it is that you you guys or the people want to see. So. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I just wanted to, I wanted to plug it. So, um, because I don't know it off the top of my head, but there is a dagger Instagram out there. So if you're not tracking, uh, check it out. It's, uh, US and, uh, AF definitely underscore AFSOC dagger, dagger AFSOC. What's one of the two? I get confused. So yeah, I was going to try not to pull out my phone just to read it <laughs> off, but since we're talking about it, uh, I will do that. <laughs> Let's see here. It is, uh, yeah, it's USAF underscore AFSOC Dagger. Uh, so go check them out. Ping them for questions. Anything that you have burning questions that you have that we weren't able to answer. Well, I wasn't able to answer anything. Raul and Chase were able to answer it. Uh, check it out, and then uh, we'll go from there. So appreciate you joining us. Don't forget to like and subscribe. Hit the notification bell. And then leave us a review. Tell us how poorly I'm doing as an interviewer. So, all right. Thanks for joining us, guys. Later. Thank you.